Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. John chapter 3 um, might be one of the most influential chapters, and John 3.16 might be one of the most influential verse, and not in just in my life, but my entire family's um, history, right? It's very easy for us to, to hear a familiar passage and kind of zone out, like, man, I've heard John 3.16. I've had it memorized. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you've, you've seen uh, Tim Tebow wear it. Like, you know John 3.16, but I, I, I just want to caution you not to zone out this morning because there is so much power in John chapter 3. There's so much power Power, um, and gospel presentation in John chapter 3 verse 16 and it has the ability to transform your entire life. Uh, matter of fact, I just want to kind of share with you how John 3 has impacted me and my family more than anything. Uh, my mother did uh, 10 years total in the California um, criminal justice uh, system. She was in prison, and, and her last go in prison, my pastor would write her letters, and he encouraged her, hey, just memorize John 3.16. She wasn't a believer at the time, but my mom got that verse on um, that letter, and she, she looked up John 3.16, and it captured her heart to the point where she filled an entire notebook full of just John 3.16 over and over and over until the spirit just got a hold of her heart and she accepted Jesus Christ right there in the prison cell through John 3.16. It was when I was six years old that my grandpa sat me down and and had like this man-to-man conversation and said, Donnie, you realize that just because you go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays doesn't mean that you're saved. And he opened up John 3 and he read verse 3, which we'll go over today, and said, Donnie, you have to be born again. And he pointed me to John 3, 16, that showed me that that only happens through Jesus Christ. And it was on October 4th, 1998, where I was born again and saved and baptized through John 3, 16. It was through John 3.16 that my grandpa shared every single week to my father and asked him every single week, when are you going to surrender your life to Jesus? And for about six months, every week would share the same verse over and over until my stepdad finally said, I'm done, I need Jesus. It was John chapter 3, verse 16, where in 2004, I was 12 years old, when God said, Donnie, you need to surrender your life to the ministry. And my pastor, Don McIntyre, had me preach my first sermon. By the way, Cooper, um, in the first service, man, he did such an amazing job bringing the word this morning. You need to be proud of your church and our pastor, Josh, who's bringing up new preachers, new ministers in the gospel uh, for the kingdom of God. He did a fantastic job. But my, I remember my first sermon was on John three sixteen. It was seven minutes long. Um, I'm pretty sure I told Josh I quoted Kanye West in there at some point. I was 12. Right? I'm not going to do that today, I promise you. And I promise it's not going to be seven minutes. By the end of that sermon, preaching John 3:16, my uncle, who was a practicing Mormon, came down and converted him and, and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm telling you, there is something special in John chapter 3. And I'm excited that after 18 years of preaching, I get to stand up here and tell you the greatest news ever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so today we're going to open up to John 3. I want to pray before we do that. My hope, um, as I've been preparing, is that you would look at it with fresh eyes and that you would maybe surrender your life to Jesus for the first time, but also just leave encouraged knowing that, man, when you're saved, you're saved. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. 
God, I'm thankful for just the truth and how you've used this scripture to impact me and my family. How you've used this verse to change and transform people all over the world throughout history, God. But my prayer is that we would leave today encouraged and ready to share the greatest news ever, that you love us and that you sent your son to die for us. God, I pray that you would move as only you can move, that if someone here doesn't know you, that today would be the day they give their life to you. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Everybody said, amen. amen. Go ahead and find your way to John chapter three, starting in verse one. It says this, that there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And so right before this, Jesus was in Jerusalem. He was um, celebrating the Passover feast. And at some point during the night, Nicodemus came up to Jesus and begins to have this um, conversation with him. And what, what we know about Nicodemus is he was a Pharisee, meaning that he was pretty strict about the law. Like he knew the Old Testament. He knew the word. He knew what it meant to, to be disciplined and to be serious about God and be serious about laws. And, and even though some of the laws seem to be a bit ridiculous and are in, man, they didn't play around with it. They were very strict and they followed it. No matter how difficult that law was, they stuck to it. And even to a fault to where they cared more about following the law than they cared about practicing the grace that came from the word of God. And so what we can kind of come to the conclusion about Nicodemus is, man, he's serious. He, he's not a man who's going to play games. What we see is that he's the ruler of the Jews. And this tells us that not just he was a Pharisee, but he was a part of the Sanhedrin, um, a group of about 70 or so men who, who literally ruled over every Jew in the world. And, and so what we also know is later on, we'll see Jesus say, man, you're a teacher. So he, he was a Pharisee. He was a ruler. He had authority. He was a Bible teacher. And so with that in mind, I want us to, to, to look at this conversation that he had between him and Jesus. Look at verse two and three with me. He said, this man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Verse three, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And here's what I love about Nicodemus, right? He, he comes to Jesus at night, calls him rabbi, which just means teacher. And he tries to, in my opinion, flatter Jesus a little bit, right? He, he comes to Jesus and he says, man, we know you're a teacher from God. You're out here doing things that no one else can do, right? And, and I'm gonna admit, I pulled a Nicodemus before, right? I remember in high school, I would go to my teachers when I was, um, my grades weren't up to par, right? And I would say something like, Miss Taylor, did you get your hair cut, girl? I, I see what you're doing with your new hair. I like that, right? And that worked until it didn't, right? Until I got to college where um, my professors didn't care that I noticed their haircut. And they said, Donnie, you failed. You can't have extra credit. Go away, right? And so that doesn't always work. But here comes Nicodemus. And, and Jesus, man, he wasn't, he wasn't falling for it. Nicodemus comes and, and, and he knows that there's something on his mind. Jesus knows that he has questions, that there's something weighing on his heart. And I want to tell you today, I know some of you are sitting in here right now and you too have questions. Some of you are in this very seat, in this room right now, and you have doubts, you have fears that, that are weighing on your mind, weighing on your soul. And I'm here to tell you, man, take those things to Jesus. There is nothing that you can bring to Jesus that will surprise him. He knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your fears, your struggles, your anxieties. He knows what keeps you up at night. He knows what's stopping you from following him. And my, my hope is that you would hear me say, he knows that, so take it to him. Take it to him. There is nothing you can bring to Jesus that will surprise him. 
And so here, here's Nicodemus, and, 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 and he's trying to beat around the bush a little bit, but Jesus goes straight to the point. He says in verse 3, um, um, you must be born again. You must be born again. In this moment of history, we're confronted, mankind is confronted with this truth and the reality that there is a heaven and there is a hell. There's God and his kingdom and there's Satan and hell. And there's, a, there's this price that we have um, from our sin, from us rebelling against God, from us doing our own thing. And that price is full separation from God. That is an eternal separation and suffering in hell because of our own sin. And so the question that Nicodemus has and the question that if we're all honest, we've asked ourselves, or we've asked others or we've pondered, how can I ensure that when I die, I'm gonna be in heaven with God? That question is weighing on Nicodemus. And that's something that I hope that if you don't know the answer to that, that you would wrestle with. Because reality is we're not skipping earth without dying. Every single one of us is gonna be faced with that moment. And the question we have to answer because man, your soul's eternity hangs on that question. How can I be in heaven with God? So here's, here's what's awesome, right? Nicodemus is very intelligent man. Here's Jesus. Get straight to the point. Man, you must be born again. And I want you to see Nicodemus's response to Jesus. Look at verse four. After Jesus said, you must be born again, verse four, how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born again? Now, it's easy when we first read this, right? We can make some kind of, um, it, it feels like Nicodemus is making a joke, right? But um, listen, my wife just had our second baby girl, right? Little Millie Rose. And I would not dare joke with her and say, hey, baby, listen, I think we need to enter her back in and let her be born again. Because, you know, that whole thing that Nicodemus said, I would never joke with that with my wife, right? And so this is not a joke. Nicodemus isn't playing. He's asking the question, how can this happen? How can, how, how can I be born again? How can I start over? How can I start with a brand new, fresh start? Nicodemus isn't playing. This is something that's hard to grasp because listen, the curse of sin that every single one of us has is that we have a desire to be different. We have a desire for change. We, we want new minds. We want new bodies. We, we want to be better men, better women, better leaders, better parents. We want the idea of, of being born again. And if, if you don't think so, have you ever had the thought of, man, if I can just start over, if I can just go back to when I was born and I would live like everything I know now and just live life again, I would do things so much different. Anybody else had that thought? No, am I alone? You never had that thought, man, if I just go back to high school, man, I'd be the best basketball player there ever was, right? Just kidding, like you wouldn't, even if you got to go back, right? But every single one of us have this desire. Every, every man and woman have desire to be better. I want to be new. I want to start order. If I can just be reborn and just live differently. And so with this desire, man, what do we, what do we normally do with that? Normally what we do is, man, we do everything that we can in our own power and strength to change ourselves, to, to, to fix ourselves. And that's why like, you know, how many of you are making New Year's resolutions? Anybody, right? right? I ain't eating those Oreos this year, right? I promise you I'm gonna eat them tomorrow, right? It's, it's, not, it's not gonna happen, but we, we have this desire. We want to be born again. In reality, Nicodemus hit it right on the head. This is hard, changing ourselves is hard as going back into your mother's womb to be born again. In other words, it's impossible. 
We, we cannot fix ourselves. We cannot change ourselves to, to, to cleanse ourselves from our sins so that we can enter God's presence. We are sinful and God is holy. And so Nicodemus asked a question, how? How can this be? And my question is, you know, if you're sitting in here, how many of you, you have the desire to change? Maybe there's uh, something in your life, maybe there's an addiction in your life that you've tried to overcome and it just keeps getting you every time and you just cannot seem to overcome it. Or maybe there's a way about doing things that you know is wrong and you're trying to stop it, but you just keep going back down that path. Nicodemus asked a question that every single one of us asks, how can this happen? How can I be born again? I think this next verse helps us understand what it actually means to be born again. Look at verse five with me. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now here's the deal. A lot of people get um, caught up in what it means, uh, you know, what is water and spirit. But the thing with Nicodemus is he would understand this in context. So Nicodemus knew right away what water and spirit and what Jesus was talking about because he knew who John the Baptist was. Y'all remember Josh preached about this a few weeks ago that John the Baptist was the forerunner, the Bible said, to Jesus. And his job was to tell everyone, hey, listen, Jesus is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. So repent and be baptized. And the cool thing that Josh said, in his Texas accent was John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin, right? He said it in that Texas accent. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm from California, so John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin, all right? But John the Baptist, he, he went about preaching. You need to repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. And so what the born of water is related to is just the baptism that believers go through once we surrender to Jesus, and the Bible teaches us that baptism is not what saves us. We know that. And, and, and it wouldn't make sense that baptism would save us because if that was the case, then all we would have to do is just get in some water. So baptism isn't what saves us, but baptism is so important because it shows the world that what we believe in is that Jesus came to this earth. He was born of flesh, came to this earth. He lived perfectly, died on the cross, was buried and rose again in new life. And now he's seated on high in the heavens and he's over all things. And so what Romans tells us is that when we repent and surrender our life to Jesus, we are connected with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection through our baptism. In other words, when we stand in the water, we're saying, this is what I believe. I'm now being, putting to death my old ways. I'm repenting. I'm turning away from my old life of sin and me thinking that I'm a better God than God himself. And when we come out of that water, we're saying, I'm now rising to follow Christ in a new life. I'm born again. And for the rest of my day, I will follow Jesus. This is what Jesus is talking about. But before we are baptized, we are called to repent. And once we do that and we surrender our lives, listen, the Holy Spirit, the Bible promises, makes his home within us. And there's this fancy word called regeneration, being born again, kickstarts in this life-changing moment, and man, we walk in a new life. If you're with me, say I'm with you. And so what Nicodemus sees right away is that no one is born again if there is no repentance and no work of the Holy Spirit in their heart. There's no born again unless there is a repented heart and the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me, repentance is such a key part of your salvation in this born again. Repentance isn't just words, it's action. 
It's not just changing directions, it's changing of a mind and a heart and a desire. It's not just asking Jesus into your heart, it's you saying, Jesus, I lay down my life, your will over mine, I'm yours. And, that, and as I think about going back to my old ways, it makes me sick because Jesus, I desire nothing but you. This is repentance. And so I want you to see um, how Jesus continues to go on. Look at verse six through seven. Jesus says this, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. Now listen, sometimes when I read the Bible, um, I have to make it a little more simple for myself. Amen, right? I've been preaching since I was 12 and one of the best compliments, I think it's a compliment, um, that I get, as I hear it every time, Donnie, you're just so simple. <laughs> and I say, what do you, hold on, is there anything else after that part, right? Uh, Donnie, you just, you're so simple. And I think it's because when I read the Bible, I have to not water the message down, but help me make sense of what Jesus is trying to say. And so this, what is flesh is flesh, and what is spirit is spirit, isn't that complicated. So let me help you understand it. Let me make it a little simple, right? Y'all ready? Say, I'm ready. No, I, I didn't believe you. Say, I'm ready. Here's my illustration to help make things a little more simple, right? Um, the flesh is flesh, spirit is spirit. Here it is. Um, that which is vegetable is vegetable, amen? And that which is meat is meat. Now here's the deal, all right? Stay with me, stay with me. I don't care how much seasoning you put on that veggie. I don't care how many vegetables of the, of the earth that you gather together and mix and smash and make it into a patty, all right? And I'll add all the hamburger seasoning and bean, or, or buns and ketchup and tomato and lettuce and mayonnaise. I don't care how good it looks, that patty of veggies is always going to be what? Veggie. Why? Because that which is veggie is veggie. It can never be meat. You can put the best hamburger seasoning on that bad boy. It is not ever going to be meat. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. If you're Southern Baptist, say, amen. What Jesus is saying is that you can add all the Christian flavor to your life that you want. You can add all the Bible studies, all the worship songs. You say all the God bless yous. You can even stop doing all the things that you know is sinful. You can try to fix yourself up and look like a Christian all day long. But if you have never repented, if you've never surrendered, you are not born of spirit. You are still just flesh with all the Christian seasoning and flavors you want to add, if you have never repented and surrendered to Jesus, you are not born again. You are flesh with Christian seasoning. If you're with me, say I'm with you. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit. Now here's the deal, it's natural for us to not accept this, this is hard. Because naturally, what we do, this concept, we have this idea in our mind that if there's something wrong with me, tell me what it is and I will fix it. And if I don't know how to fix it, I'll, I will research, I'll get the books, I'll, I'll read the articles and I will fix myself. But here's what doesn't surprise me in Nicodemus. I want you to see his response to this. Look at verse nine. Verse nine, Nicodemus asked, how can these things be? Uh, man, I, I love this because it shows how real this is and how serious Nicodemus is. He's not playing with faith. He's not playing with Jesus. He, he hears these words and he asks, how can this be? 
It's almost like I can almost hear him say, like, Jesus, I, I see your analogies, but seriously, like, how does this new birth happen? Like, what's the process? What's the driving force behind it? What starts it? How do I know it's completed? What does this mean for my life? What does this mean for the world? I can, I can hear the struggle in Nicodemus's voice. And what I love about Jesus is that if you really read the Bible, um, man, he roasts a lot of people, right? And so what he does before he answers Nicodemus, he kind of roasts him. He, he basically tells him in the next verses, like, aren't you a teacher? Like, you don't understand these things. But I want you to see what Jesus does in verse 13 through 15 as he gives us a beautiful picture of how this rebirth happens and the hope that we have in Jesus. Look at verse 13 with me. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from the heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. I mean, right here in this moment, Jesus tells him exactly who he is. He is the Son of Man. He is God in the flesh. And he tells him to show Nicodemus not just who he is, but also gives us the most, I think, beautiful illustration of this whole um, being born again and what does it mean and, how, and where does it start? See, there was a time in Numbers 21 where the people of God um, was complaining to God. They were complaining. God had just freed them from slavery, freed them from Egypt, and, and they're in the desert. God did it in a miraculous way, and they're there, and they're kind of wandering around. And just like us, we naturally try to find um, the negative thing in a positive situation. And what do they do? They complain that, God, we're hungry. Like, you, you freed us from Egypt, but you put us out here to starve to death. We're hungry. There's no food. There's no water. And so they complained to Moses, their leader. And they said, man, will you tell God we're hungry? Like he doesn't know. And, man, and God does something that I, I think a lot of us would, would kind of go like, man, why would God do this? But God allows them to feel the consequence of them rebelling and, and kind of complaining against God. And the Bible tells us that God sent these fiery snurpers, serpents, these snakes, right? It's a scary image, these snakes on fire, right? And because of their actions, man, they would bite them. And, and when someone would get bit by one of these fiery serpents, these snakes... Man, it would cause, the Bible said, this immense pain and suffering to the point that they would eventually die. But I want you to see what happened in Numbers 21. Numbers 21, I'll have it on there, you have to turn to it. But number 21, 6 through 9, it says this, that the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he would take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole and if a serpent bit anybody, he would look at that bronze serpent and live. All right, this is kind of a crazy story, but let me put it into context on why Jesus mentioned it to Nicodemus. What would happen is the consequence of our sins, um, God allowed them to feel that when you rebel, when you choose to complain or when you choose to do your own thing, you rebel against following God, you have to face the consequences of your sin. And the Bible tells us that our sin always equals death. It always equals death. And so for these people in numbers, as they would get bit and they would feel the poison, they would feel the fire and they would feel the pain and they would feel the suffering. Some of them died, but those who got bit and able to see the staff that Moses made as he lifted it up, when they would look at that serpent, when they would look at that staff that, that God told Moses to make, they would instantly be healed. Jesus tells, tells Nicodemus, just like Moses lifted up that snake on a pole, 
The son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Listen, that is the gospel, right? Those snakes represent our sin and what, our, and what we get for not choosing to follow God, for not repenting, for not surrendering to him, for not walking in obedience, from doing our own thing. That punishment is eternal pain and suffering separated from God in the place called hell. But just as Moses lifted up that pole and those who looked at it were healed, we have something greater than a snake on a pole. We have something greater than, than, than us trying to fix ourselves or, or pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We have something greater. We have a God who loves us, who cares for us, who doesn't want us to sit in the pain and suffering of our sin, who doesn't want us to be separated from him, who desires for us to be in his presence for all of eternity. We have something greater than a serpent on a pole. We have a God who in our rebellion made a way for us to be saved, to be born again, so that in our pain and suffering, we can look and see one of the greatest things that the Bible ever tells us in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. How can a man be born again? Through Jesus Christ who was beaten and nailed to a cross and was risen for, all man, for, all, for man to see, who died as a sacrifice for us so that he could extend to us everlasting life. This is the gospel. This is the God that we served, that whoever would look to Jesus and who would believe would be saved. We serve a God who, who loves us. One of my, my favorite preachers to, to listen to is Craig O'Shell. He says, we serve a God who doesn't shout his love from heaven, but sends it down through his son, who came down to this broken world to save us from ourselves. We serve a God who is holy, who desires for us to be in his presence, who cares enough for you and me to sacrifice his perfect son. But the truth remains. You must be born again. You must be born again. You must repent in full surrender and believe in Jesus. And so the question I have for you is not, have you had some kind of like religious experience? The question I have for you is, is not, have you been transformed or are you new? My, my question isn't, have you said a prayer or, 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 or anything like that? My question to you is after hearing Jesus use the word, you must be born again. That word must means there is no other option. This is it. After hearing Jesus say, you must be born again, my question is very simple. Have you? Have you been born again? Have you realized that your, your sinfulness in midst of a, a God who is glorified and who is perfect and who is holy, who loves you? Have you realized that in, there, in your sinfulness and in his holiness, man, there's separation? And that the consequence for not following him, for not surrendering to him, is you have to face your own sin, which is eternal suffering in hell forever. Have you realized your need for God? 
Have you realized the greatest thing that we can hear from the Bible is that God loves you and sent his son to die for you and all you have to do is believe in him. Have you realized that you need Jesus? Have you received the good work of the spirit in your life or have you been trying to add just a little bit of Christian flavor to your sin nature, hoping that by being a good person, you can enter the kingdom of God? I told you in the beginning um, just the, the history of John 3.16 and my family and just how it's transformed me and my mom and, and, my, and my dad and just, it's just transformed our whole family's history. But I want to tell you uh, one quick story. When I was in the seventh grade, we did like um, evangelism training, right? It was part of the team and, and um, you know, I'm from Modesto, California. We had a church from Redbud Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas. Um, they had a team doing the same training as we were doing, and, and they sent a team to us, and, and we did evangelism all through Modesto, knocking on doors, and, and they led a revival, right? Old School Southern Baptist, they led a week-long revival, and then we flew out to Lubbock, Texas, right? My first time going to Texas, and, and, and we did the same thing for them. And uh, when I was there, they made me uh, share my testimony on one of the revival nights, man. I was super excited, and I actually have, look at this old-fashioned bulletin, right? How cool is this, right? There's like clip art in this bad boy. Look at that, man, it's awesome. But on the back of this is my, my testimony notes. And I want to just read a little bit of it to you this morning. Can I do that? I'm going to do it anyway, so let me do that real quick. <clears throat> it said, hi, my name is Donnie. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it starts. Um, it says, my life before having Christ was a mystery. I remember wondering what's going to happen to me after I would die. I grew up in Calvary Baptist Church, and my grandparents took me to church every Sunday and Wednesday. But as I got older, I realized that I was missing something. Cooper in the first message said something very key. He says, if, if Jesus isn't the center point of your life, you're missing the main thing. I said, I, I, I was missing something. My grandfather, Lonnie, had a real talk with me. He said, Donnie, do you know that just going to church every Sunday is not going to get you to heaven? Then he shared a verse with me from John 3.3, 3, unless someone is saved, he can never enter the kingdom of God. On October 4th, 1998, he took me to church where my pastor gave an invitation and he looked at me and said, son, there's no better time than right now. And I felt the spirit move and I got saved that day and was baptized the following Sunday. My hope is that you guys would get up and witness and experience the power of Jesus in your life. I was in the seventh grade when this happened. I'm here to tell you that was the greatest moment of my life. And the same thing that I said there, I'm saying to you this morning, there is nothing greater than experiencing being born again through the spirit of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're playing a game in here with Jesus, stop playing the game. Jesus loves you and he cares for you, but you are playing a risky game with your soul. Eternity is a big deal. And if you're just trying to add Christian flavor to your life without repenting, you're missing out on what it means to be born again. There is no better time than right now. The start of a brand new year, you can have a better start than that with Jesus Christ. I know what it feels like to sit in the church my whole life and miss out on Jesus. Don't do that today. Don't do that today. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. 
To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.